Hello, everyone. We are witnessing a war that shouldn't be happening, the war between Russia and Ukraine. And it's such a tragedy witnessing two neighboring countries that are deeply connected culturally and historically and now in such a conflict. Whenever there's a war, it's always the ordinary people suffering. And we can blame a lot of people for this situation. I'm sure you all have some names in your heart to blame. Putin, Zelensky, Biden, NATO. But there's a bigger context, bigger background that led to the situation and not many people are talking about it. So today in Talk It Out, we will try to take a deep dive into the situation. And joining me today in the discussion is Benjamin Norton. Uh, he's an independent journalist. He's the former editor at The Grey Zone and currently the editor at Multipolarista. So Benjamin, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure being here. I mean, we know people in Ukraine are panicking, they're taking shelters, and people in Ukraine are definitely suffering from this. But uh, as all these sanctions being thrown on Russia, uh, people in Russia will suffer from the consequences soon. People in these two countries are suffering, but who is benefiting, benefiting from this war? Well, it's clear that that Russia was put in a very difficult situation. And in order to understand this conflict, we have to go back a few years to understand that the United States has surrounded Russia with adversaries, with NATO members that have missiles and that want war with Russia. And the United States has refused to allow uh, Russia to have security guarantees. Russia, back in December, asked for a series of very reasonable security guarantees and Washington and NATO said no. They refused to concede any of these security guarantees. And now Russia was forced to take action to defend its security interests. And it's very similar, actually, to what the US has been doing with Taiwan, sending weapons to Taiwan, sending troops to Taiwan, trying to train separatists. I mean, it's, it's very similar. The US is, is waging a new Cold War on both Russia and China at the same time. And the US is trying to take parts of China and also neighbors of Russia and turn them against China and Russia to wage war against them to destabilize these countries. And that's why Russia was forced to take action to prevent Ukraine from being this powder keg, from being a country that could potentially join NATO, which means that it could have nuclear weapons threatening the, the country of Russia. Let's not forget that it was through Ukraine that Russia has been invaded twice, including the Nazis. When, when the Nazis invaded the Soviet Union, they invaded through Ukraine. This is a huge security problem for Russia. And the United States has refused to acknowledge that, this, that, that it has these security problems. In fact, the Secretary General of NATO, which everyone knows NATO is led by the United States, the Security General of NATO, Jen Stoltenberg, he said on February 19th at the Munich Security Conference, this was a, a gathering of, of largely Western leaders. And he said, this is a few days before the Russian intervention in Ukraine. He said, if Russia doesn't want NATO on its borders, well, we're going to keep expanding it and there will be more NATO on Russia's borders. NATO is a military alliance. It is a military alliance led by the United States. And the main goal until recently was to wage war on Russia, was to contain Russia, was to prevent Russia from being an independent, powerful country. Although recently, NATO also added China to its enemy list. And Jen Stoltenberg made it clear that not only is NATO 
against Russia, it's also against China. So the reality is that, unfortunately, no one really benefits from this war. It's for everyone, it's bad. For the Ukrainian people, it's certainly bad. For Russia, it's bad in many ways because Russia is now facing many sanctions and this is really going to hurt the Russian economy and it's going to hurt average Russian people. But the reality is that Russia was forced into this position by NATO constantly expanding up to its borders. There's currently two different members of NATO, including Estonia, which was part of the Soviet Union, that is right on Russia's border. And Estonia has Western troops doing military exercises 100 kilometers from Russia's border. So the United States and NATO act as though Moscow is all crazy and aggressive, but they have totally ignored all of its demands for security guarantees and created this conflict. Mm. Of course, we are, um, we are giving this context what led, up, what led to the situation today, but of course it's not an excuse for a war, such a war. Um, but um, you know what, like, I do see a lot of people now coming out to, to say, no, NATO, is, NATO expansion is not the problem. Ukraine is a sovereign country. It has independence. Uh, they can decide whether they want to join NATO. And I have people calling, shouting on my Twitter, saying, stop pushing this uh, phony agenda. NATO is never the problem. It's always Putin's fault. What do you make of this? Well, there's a few points to respond to. First of all, the unfortunate reality is that Ukraine is not a sovereign country. Ukraine had a sovereign government until 2014, but what happened in 2014, the United States orchestrated a coup d'etat, similar to the coup that the United States tried to orchestrate in Hong Kong, or the coup that the US orchestrated in Bolivia in 2019, that it tried to orchestrate here in Nicaragua in 2018. The US has a long history of supporting coups, overthrowing elected governments. And in 2014, Ukraine had an elected president named Viktor Yanukovych, and he tried to play Russia and the West against each other. He tried to do what was best for the interests of Ukraine, but the US didn't want that. The Western powers wanted a puppet in Ukraine and they organized a coup and they overthrew the elected president in Ukraine and they installed a puppet regime. And we have evidence, we have a leaked phone recording of the top US diplomat, Victoria Newland, who is now the third in command of the US State Department. And in this recorded, this leaked phone call, we can hear her deciding who the leaders of the Ukrainian government would be after the 2014 coups. I think Yats is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's, he's the guy, you know, what he needs is Cleach and Tani Book on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week, you know. I, I, I just think Cleach going in, he's going to be at that level working for Yatsenyuk. It's just not going to work. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's right. OK, so the reality is that since 2014, Ukraine has been basically a colony of the West, of the United States, the European Union, the NATO powers have been controlling Ukraine's internal politics, preventing it from having an independent foreign policy and preventing it from having relations with Russia and also sending weapons, billions of dollars of weapons to threaten Russia, sending troops so the reality is that it's, it's unfortunate. Of course, it's extremely tragic. No one likes to see war and the people of Ukraine are the ones suffering most. But the reality is that since 2014, Ukraine has been at war. 
So Russia's intervention is not the beginning of the war. It's actually the end of the war. The war began back in 2014 when the United States started the war by launching a violent coup d'etat in which far-right extremist forces, including neo-Nazi extremists, played a role as the violent muscle behind the coup. And then after that, there were Russian speakers in eastern Ukraine who were being repressed by the new US-backed coup regime. Their rights were being violated. They weren't allowed to speak Russian. They weren't allowed to publish in Russian. And they rose up against the illegitimate coup regime and demanded independence. And they were repressed and waged war on, and people were killed, and there were refugees. That's been going on since 2014. And in 2015, Ukraine, along with Russia, France, and Germany, agreed to a, a, a treaty the, the Minsk protocols. And in 2015, they signed Minsk II. And in this agreement, Minsk II, Ukraine, the government in Kiev claimed that it was going to give autonomy to the Donbass regions, the, the two regions specifically of the breakaway republics of Donetsk and Lugansk. And instead of them being independent, these two countries would have autonomy, or rather, excuse me, these two regions would have autonomy. But instead, the US government told Kiev, told the, the Ukrainian government not to abide by the Minsk II agreements, pressuring Ukraine to continue waging war on its own population in the East. And that's what forced Russia into this. Again, this is not the beginning of the war. This is in many ways the end of the war. It's an escalation of the war, but it's a war that's gone on. So if people are gonna say that they're gonna try to blame Russia, if they're gonna say this is a violation of Ukrainian sovereignty, they have to understand the historical context. It was the United States that violated Ukraine's sovereignty going back to 2014, and it was the United States that started this war. Mm. Unfortunately, we did see the same thing happening across the world. Um, the U.S. government trying to uh, play this regime-changing game through different covered revolutions uh, across the world in the Middle East, in Europe, uh, in Southeast Asia, trying to replace the government, top of the government, and replace it with a puppet that listens to the Washington, D.C. Basically, they outsource the foreign policy to Washington, D.C. They tried, they tried to do that in Hong Kong back in 2019, but they failed. But uh, we are seeing they are attempting to do this uh, so many times, but unfortunately, so many people cannot see this through. And another question is, uh, we know the, when Putin addressed a nation before he uh, deployed, uh, started this uh, military operation, he said the reason that, led, that motivated him to do this is demilitarization and denazification. And I also see a lot of Western media, DW, and different uh, journalists coming out saying this is pure, pure lies because uh, there's no Nazis in, in Ukraine. Uh, Zelensky himself is Jewish, so how could be this be like denazification? So, what, what do we, where, who is saying the truth? Where's the truth? Well, as someone from the United States, it it really makes me laugh to hear people say that. Well, President Zelensky's Jewish, so Ukraine can't have a Nazi problem. I mean, in the United States, we had a, a black president, a president of African descent, Barack Obama. That doesn't mean that the U.S. is not a racist country. The U.S. is very racist. And there are a lot of white supremacists in the United States. And Donald Trump is, is a racist. And he was president right after Barack Obama. So, no, I mean, that's not a valid excuse. The reality is that Ukraine has a horrible problem with Nazi extremists. I mentioned that in 2014, 
the U.S. orchestrated a coup in Ukraine. And in February, there was a lot of violence in 2014. And these Nazis, they burnt down a union hall, killing Ukrainian leftists and union organizers. And they carried out acts of violence in, to push their extremist agenda. These Nazis in Ukraine, they're motivated by a racist ideology. They see Russians as non-white. They see Russians as descendants of Genghis mm. Khan and the Mongols, and they think that they're Asiatic, whereas Ukrainians, according to their racist narrative, Ukrainians are white and superior. So they have to pure their, their, purify their country, according to their racist narrative. These are the extremists that have been on the front lines fighting against Russian-speaking Ukrainians in the eastern part of the country, in the Donbass. And this has gone on since 2014. This is not a matter of opinion. This is a matter of objective fact. There are groups like the Azov Battalion, which were directly incorporated into the Ukrainian state. The Azov Battalion is a neo-Nazi group. They use the German Nazi-era Wolfsangel symbol, which looks very similar to the symbols used by Nazi Germany. They were part of the 2014 coup. And then after the coup, the Ukrainian National Guard turned them into the Special Operations Forces Unit. There are other extremist far-right groups like the right sector, these Svoboda, these extremist far-right parties have very significant influence in Ukrainian politics. And it is a very serious problem, especially in the security forces. There are so many examples of evidence of the Ukrainian government funding Nazi groups, like another neo-Nazi group called C-14, which has carried out massacres against the Roma minority, which has carried out attacks on the LGBT community. These groups are directly supported by the Ukrainian state. And by the way, we have photos showing US military personnel training these Nazis. We have photos of US military personnel meeting with the Azov Battalion. And you can see photos of US and Canadian military officers with the US and Canadian flags on the patches on their uniforms. And they're shaking hands with these Ukrainian Nazis from the Azov Battalion. This is a very serious problem. Obviously, not every single member of the Ukrainian military is a Nazi. There are a lot of normal Ukrainians, but we are talking about a very real problem in Ukraine, and it's not just a few bad apples. We know that the Germany is highly, and including the whole Europe, is highly reliant on the gas from Russia. And now, after this, the Nord Stream 2 certification is being suspended. I mean, what's the future for Europe? How much impact it will bring to people in Germany and the whole Europe? Well, it's very clear that the United States from the beginning of this conflict in Ukraine that the US created, it was aimed at trying to prevent Europe from economically integrating with Russia. That is the US goal. The US wants to break off Europe from both Russia and China because Russia and China have a strategic partnership, increasingly they're allies, not only economically, but also politically, even militarily. So the US is trying to wage a two front war on both Russia and China at the same time. And it's trying to get Europe unified behind Washington to, to wage this new Cold War. And the problem for, for, from the perspective of the US, the problem is that Germany and other countries in Western Europe are very heavily reliant on Russian energy. So the US from the very beginning was trying to sabotage the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. In fact, 
the Donald Trump administration was carrying out a lot of the same policies, threatening sanctions. And now the Biden administration has imposed sanctions on the company behind Nord Stream 2. Now, this was an interesting move because Germany, the German government announced that it was not going to certify this pipeline, but the US was not content. They, because they know that if Germany doesn't certify it, then maybe in two or three years, Germany could still open it. The US wanted to destroy the pipeline, so they imposed sanctions to make sure the pipeline is never open. And, and another reason that the US is doing this is not only so Europe cannot have better relations with Russia, but also because the United States is competing with Russia in terms of gas exports. The United States, in fact, in the past few months, as the US has fueled this crisis in Ukraine, the US has become the largest exporter of liquefied natural gas on earth for the first time in history, larger than Qatar, larger than Russia. So the US wants to keep Europe dependent on its energy instead of buying Russia's energy. Although the irony is that for the people of Europe, they're suffering because of this policy because they have to pay way more money and their electricity bills, especially in the winter when they have to keep their houses warm and they have to use gas. And the cheap gas from Russia is now decreasing. It's not, there's not as much cheap gas from Russia that's being exported to Europe. Instead, they're having to pay more money for more expensive gas from the United States, which is going across the entire ocean. So average Europeans are having to pay for this policy with increasing energy bills. And my last question is probably a little bit personal because you are from the United States, but I know you always been challenging the mainstream corporate media's narrative, the, the U.S. government's narrative. And I really admire, appreciate what you are doing, but how come you want to do this, come out, say, challenging the Western-controlled uh, narrative and expose their, their uh, regime-changing games across the world? Well, because the reality is that U.S. foreign policy, not only does it hurt people around the world, it hurts people in the United States. It hurts my friends. It hurts my family. We have to pay tons of taxes to, to fund trillions of dollars of war. And why? Meanwhile, the United States, in, inside the United States, we don't have health care. We don't have education. I mean, everything's extremely expensive. There's more and more people who are homeless. There are more and more people living in poverty. There's more and more police brutality and racism because the United States, the US government is so undemocratic. All it does is it takes all of that money that it extracts from us through taxes, that it extracts from people around the world. And then it, it fuels more and more war. Now the US government spends nearly $800 billion per year on its military. And every single year, the military budget increases. The US is waging war across West Asia, in Yemen, in Syria, still in Iraq. The US is waging regime change operations across Latin America and Asia. The US has sanctions on all of these countries around the world. These policies don't help the people of the United States. They actually make our lives even worse. And all they do is they enrich a small elite of capitalists, the, the 1% the elite oligarchs in the United States on Wall Street in Silicon Valley, these oligarchs, these billionaires who fund the politicians, they are the ones who profit. But meanwhile, I am of a generation of people who are trapped in student debt. There are, there's nearly $2 trillion of student debt in the United States. There's an entire generation of people like me in their 30s and their 20s who are trapped in student loans 
because the United States does not have free education. Education is extremely expensive. There are also many more people, millions of people in the United States who are trapped in medical debt because they can't go to the hospital. So the only time they go to the hospital is when there's an emergency and they have to pay thousands of dollars to get a, an operation done. So all of that money is being spent to wage war. And that's why it's, it's actually not in any way strange to see me or other people from the United States criticize the US government's undemocratic policies and its wars around the world, because we understand that those policies are not done for us. Those policies are done for the rich, wealthy capitalist elites who control the US government and who don't act in our interests. They act against our interests, actually. Thank you so much, Ben, for your deep analysis. Very honored, very happy to have you on my show. And I know you are based in Nicaragua now, so I hope next time we'll, you, I will have you more on my show and we can exchange the China and Latin America relationship. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to come back. And, and thank you so much for your great show. I love to watch your program.